You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Genesis 29. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said, and here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah, so she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home, and there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is complete, and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. 
Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. This is Genesis chapter 30. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children, or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her, so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then, Jake, then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me, because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. As soon as Rachel had borne J Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own, ho own home and country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served you, that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned my divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came. And it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flocks and keep it. 
Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later, when you come to look into the wages with you, into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the throws, in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped, all the black in the flock of Laban. He set his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. 31. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, what? That the sons of Laban were saying, that's not a good start. <laughs> if I'm stumbling over the first sentence. All right, now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock from your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of the Lord said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel whom you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left for us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, Whatever have God has said to, to you, do. So Jacob arose and sent his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property and, that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Paddan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. 
And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Jacob overtook, and, or, and Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban was with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives by the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me? And did not tell me, so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre. And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away, because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out that I have what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of, two fe of the two female servants, and he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us. These, two, these 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What, has torn, what was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required of it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day. The heat consumed me and the cold by night, and my sheep fled, my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house, and I served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac has not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. 
Laban called it Jagar, oh boy, Jagar Sahadutha. But Jacob called it Galid. That's probably easier to say. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, though no one is with us, see God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap, uh, this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughter and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the opportunity that we have to hear it. I pray that now you would uh, open your word to us and uh, give us understanding into who we are, uh, into who you are, that we might trust you, that we might uh, love you and serve you and see how you work on behalf of your people, uh, though we are undeserving. Uh, I pray that you would take your word and you would apply it to each person's life here as they have need. And I pray that you would feed and strengthen uh, your people. I pray that you would bring others who are not yet among your people to yourself, that they would know Christ uh, and his salvation. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, our lives do not usually go as we expect uh, or plan. Uh, Usually we're uh, fortunate if we can have one day go the way that we planned. Uh, Often because life doesn't go the way we plan, we feel thwarted, frustrated, angry, uh, sometimes depressed and despairing when it feels that we can never get things to go our way. I ran into an article this week that started this way. It said, are you happy where you stand in life right now? If not, welcome to reality. Humans are almost incapable of being 100% satisfied with their current situation, no matter how balanced and successful others consider it to be. This is because we tend to get to specific spots in life without any meaning, aim, or direction. To avoid this haphazard lifestyle, so here's the solution. You need to learn how to make a life plan. And the article is all about how to assess your goals, figure out where you've come from, where do you want to go, and all this sort of stuff, uh, which I think is uh, interesting, uh, probably somewhat helpful. But so often, even our greatest life plans don't go as we plan, right? Because life happens. You never thought you would end up in that car wreck. 
You never thought you would lose that job. You never thought this or that. You just didn't see it coming. So what are your expectations and plans in this life? Where do you imagine you'll end up when your feet are dangling over the grave? You think, wow, I, this is exactly how I thought it would go. I made every right turn, and I'm here. We're shifting in the book of Genesis from Abraham and Isaac, and now we're going to focus substantially on Jacob and his family, his descendants. And if there's anybody who struggled with seeing their life plan work out the way they had planned, uh, Jacob would be uh, exhibit A. And you have just read three chapters that take up essentially 20 years of his life. And almost at every single point, it seems like things didn't quite go the way Jacob wanted. Uh, up until this point, he's been scheming to make things happen his way, uh, but, but uh, not really to much avail. So um, as we go through these three chapters, there's all sorts of curious details that almost certainly caught your attention we probably won't get to a lot of them. And even if we could, there's a lot of people that are like, I'm not sure what's going on here. Um, so if you have questions, feel free to ask them uh, later. But this morning, what I would like to do is real quick, I will summarize the basics of the story. Just take 30 seconds. But then we'll look at the poetic justice that is in this. We'll look at the human longings and strivings, and then we're going to look at the divine blessing and building that happens. So essentially, we're going to look at the story from kind of a human level, but then from God's vantage point. So story basics, right? Jacob arrives. He's on the run. He aims to marry Rachel and ends up marrying uh, her sister as well, due to his father-in-law's uh, life plans. Um, and then we see a competition between the two sisters uh, to have sons in particular. Then we watch Jacob and Laban sort of negotiate and go after uh, each other for another chunk over flocks. And then Jacob has a dream where God calls him, says, it's time to go home. Jacob is like, yes, I want that. Get me out of here. So he escapes his father-in-law. Father-in-law chases him. And then there's this confrontation between Jacob and Laban. It's like kind of the pinnacle of their great relationship. Uh, and then they go separate ways. That's what we've covered. So, let's look at the poetic justice in this story. Right, Jacob's life is, is, his life plan is essentially in shambles. He had originally aimed to be the main inheritor, uh, as well as get the best blessing that he could get from his dad at the expense of his brother. Uh, but now here he is on the run, no longer anywhere near his immediate family. Uh, and he's headed towards, he's leaving the promised land, and he is penniless. 
And he has a brother who hates his guts and is ready to kill him. Yet, ironically, as we'll see, he is blessed by God. Yet one of the things that he does experience is he experiences sort of poetic justice. All the things that he did to his dad, that he did to his brother, he's going to get a little bit of a taste of those things. Because in Uncle Laban, who also is his father-in-law to be, uh, he has met his match. In chapter 29, and by the way, we're going to be bouncing around, so you're definitely going to want to have your uh, Bible and your uh, pages ready to turn because we have a lot of jumping around. In chapter 29, verses 21 through 25, Jacob says uh, he's worked for Laban. You know, they had this agreement that he'd work for uh, Rachel. And he says, please give me my wife. My time is completed in verse 21. Uh, verse 22, Laban throws a big feast for the wedding ceremony. Uh, but then in verse 23, but in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. And then verse 25, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me, right? Why have you deceived me? I, I can't imagine why someone would deceive me. You know, of course, Jacob's such an upstanding guy, uh, never pulled a fast one on anybody. What's striking, in, there's two things that are striking in this in verse 23, right, it's in the evening. It's dark. He can't see. He doesn't live with modern electricity. So he doesn't know that it's Leah. Well, he has himself deceived his blind father, right? His father could not see. So uh, it comes back on Jacob. But there's a second thing. In verse 26, Laban answers his question, why did you deceive me. And Laban says, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Which, of course, what Jacob does is supplant his firstborn brother, right? He has schemed in order to flip the way the blessing's going to come to him. And so Laban, unbe unbeknownst to him, does the exact same thing to Jacob. So Jacob is tricked into working seven more years. He's already worked seven. He's got seven more to go. Now, the poetic justice actually becomes even more substantial because in verses 32 and 33, his wife Leah, who is not loved by Jacob, she names her two sons. The first one, we're told, is Reuben. And she says... Because the Lord has looked on my affliction. And then her second son, she names Simeon because the Lord has heard. His two oldest sons are named for sight and for hearing, for sight and sound, which were the two senses that Jacob capitalized on to deceive his father. So we see that Things have come back on Jacob. Well, not only for Jacob, though, there is poetic justice for Laban as well, who is the other big schemer, 
that we have in these chapters. I mean, these two guys were meant for each other in one sense. Um, but of course, when you are constantly trying to pull one over on each other, you just don't get along so well. Laban is constantly, if you just read the little bits that we have about this guy in this book, he is always looking to gain something from somebody else. So, he's willing. He gives his daughters for 14 years of labor from his uh, nephew and son-in-law. And, um, and then, after Jacob has his, uh, I'm not sure what number we're at, somewhere around uh, maybe 10th or 11th son, Joseph, in chapter 30, verses 25 through 36, we're told that after Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob goes to Laban. He says, send me away that I may go to my home and country. Give me my wives and my children, for I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given. But Laban essentially says, you know what? Could you stick around for a little bit longer? It's worked out really well for me having you around. And then Jacob says, you, you yourself, verse 29, how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. But how am I going to provide for my family, he asks. And Laban's like, well, okay, what can I give you? What can I give you in exchange? Sounds like he really wants to be generous. Uh, and Jacob says, here's what we'll do. I'll go through and I'll take all the speckled, striped, spotted sheep. I'll take those. Those will be my wages. And Laban says, good, let it be as you have said. Verse 35, but that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, uh, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge, the charge of his sons. And then he puts three days distance, right? He's like, there's no way on earth I'm going to let this guy actually get much from this deal. And Jacob agrees to the wages, uh, but it looks bleak for Jacob here because his uncle is, is uh, a master plotter, schemer, hustler. But what Laban has done in all of his scheming is that he pretty much alienates his son-in-law and his daughters. Jacob is kind of tired of it. He's like, I got to get out of here. So I'm going I'm, to, I'm, I'm getting out of Dodge without my father-in-law knowing. And so he calls to his wives and they're going to make a plan. And here's what the daughters say about their dad. This is chapter 31, verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do, right? They're like, this guy has been out to make money. He sold us, and we are getting out of here. So he deceives for gain. He sells his daughters. He even actually calls Jacob at one point his own flesh and bone. Like, you know, this real familial language. But, of course, this guy is like, 
nowhere near actually treating Jacob like family. He's an exploiter. And so Jacob, when he sees that things are not going well, he's got to get out of here. But one of the things he overhears in chapter 31, verse 1, is the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all our father's wealth, and from what of our fathers he has gained uh, is all. He's gained all of our father's wealth. You see that Jacob has won all of the stuff that was Laban's. Laban, in attempts to, in his greediness for gain, loses essentially everything. He loses not only his material possessions, but he loses uh, the people that, at least to some extent, mean something to him. And, in fact, Laban himself has to pull out the same question Jacob asked him early on in chapter 31, verses 26 through 28. After Jacob has run away, Laban overtakes him, and he says to Jacob, What have you done? That you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me? Right? If you had a, like a, a nickel for every time these guys probably said, Why did you trick me? Uh, both of them would have been millionaires. And I could have sent them away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre, right? I would have thrown you an awesome party. I'm like, yeah, right. And why did you permit me, not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? And then, of course, even Rachel steals the household gods, and then she pulls a fast one on her dad. It's just, it's just all throughout this passage. So, God promised to Abraham and to Isaac that he was going to bless them. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And it certainly seems that Laban has inadvertently messed with the wrong person. He's messed with somebody who God has promised to bless, and those who curse him will get cursed. So, Laban has also received uh, what was coming to him. And in one sense, in the Bible, karma is real. You reap what you sow, Paul says in Galatians. The things that you do, you can fully expect that they will come back on you. That's just the way the world is. That's the way God set it up. And Jacob and Laban experience some of that. Now, to be clear, not everything that bad that happens to you is probably because you did something. There is also evil in the world that just happens. And we all experience injustice and wrong. But there is also the reality that we do reap what we sow. Now, what's amazing is that Jacob is blessed by God. He's blessed by God, and he experiences the blessing of God, but he also experiences the discipline of God. And he experiences some of the pain that he inflicted on others. Now, one of the other key features of uh, this several chapters is, and, and sort of grounds actually what Jacob and Laban are all about, is there are these human longings and human strivings. There is this conflict between characters. Um, we've seen Laban's desire for gain and his wheeling and dealing and hustling. 
we see that Jacob loves Rachel, and he longs for a family. In chapter 29, verses 16 through 20, Laban has two daughters. The name of the older is Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel. And he tells Laban, I'll serve you seven years. And Laban's like, sure. Verse 20, Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. So he has such a great love for her that seven years just go by so quick. Of course, he's deceived, so now he's got two wives. And we see the longings of these two wives throughout this passage. And one of the things that's striking in the Bible, when you read the Bible, usually the first words out of somebody's mouth, because people don't, there's not a lot of dialogue in the Bible, actually. The first things out of people's mouths are usually crucial for telling you something about who they are. And here are the first words out of Leah's mouth in chapter 29, verses 32 and 34. We're told that she is hated, which is essentially a legal or covenantal term that she's not preferred. She's not the preferred wife. And she conceived and bore a son, and she, came, she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Right? That's the first thing she says. The Lord's seen me, and now, what's her great hope? That her husband will love her. Jump down to verse 34. She has another son. She says, now this time my husband will be attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons, and she calls his name Levi. It's pretty clear what would be at the top of Leah's life plan, right? I would like to have a husband that loves me. Rachel, we also see, has longings. The first time she speaks, she longs for children. She, what her sister has chapter 30 verse 1 when Rachel saw that she bore no children she envied her sister and she says to Jacob first words out of her mouth give me children or I shall die she she wants to have kids maybe she feels afraid that because she's not having kids she will no longer be the loved wife and all these longings turn into intense rivalries and strivings with each other. Jacob strives with Laban pretty much for this whole thing, right? There's just constant conflict and competition. In chapter 30, which we've looked at a little bit, verses 25 and 36, Jacob says to Laban, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock have fared with me, for you have little before I came, you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, but now when shall I provide for my own household? I will pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through, right? I want the speckled spotted sheep and the black lambs, the spotted goats, these sorts of things. And then we see Laban pull the trick, right? He goes and removes the sheep that would be Jacob's wages.
And then, of course, Jacob, not to be outdone, does this whole thing where he peels these almond and poplar trees, and you're like, what on earth is that all about? Uh, just so you know, no one really knows exactly what's going on there. But he's attempting to one-up his uncle and father-in-law. But even so, one of the things that's interesting about this whole genetic experiment that he seems to be trying, in chapter 30, uh, verse 42, it says, so the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's, right? He, he was very careful. Only when the strong sheep show up am I going to do the whole pull out the poplars and almonds and this sort of thing. So he's intentionally trying to give his uncle the weak and sickly sheep. And so thus we're told in chapter 30, verses 43, that he increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. And then he hears the sons of Laban saying, he took it all. And then when Laban overtakes him, Jacob pretty much berates him and says, you have constantly been changing my wages. And Laban's like, why'd you take my daughters like hostages? You know, it's just like, they just go back and forth. And finally, in verse 31, Laban says, why'd you do this? Why'd you pull this fast one? And Jacob says, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughter's from me by force, right? He thought that he would just overpower him and take his wives and children. And then their relationship very warmly ends with a covenant. Now, covenants in the Bible are often used to bring people together into closer relationship. But if you read the details of the contract, it's very much a covenant of like, let's keep away from each other. Like, so it's ironic that they make a covenant. It's more of a treaty, uh, uh, a peace treaty, than a, isn't it great that we're family? <laughs> but we see also with Rachel and Leah this same striving and conflict with each other. Rachel, in chapter 30, verse 7 and 8, her servant, whom she's given to Jacob, has a baby, and it's going to be Rachel's baby. So there's also this implied, we don't hear much about what the servants want, but you can imagine the difficulty of giving birth to a child that is essentially going to be given over to your mistress. So that's another whole mess. Um, but Rachel says, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. And so she named him Nephtali. And then just a few verses later in the same chapter, verses 14 and 15, in the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And Rachel says to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. And here's the response. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take my son's mandrakes as well? Right? You just, the hostility between these two sisters and the competition is brutal. And so Rachel makes a relational maneuver Okay, you can have our husband tonight. Hoping in her scheming that getting these mandrakes, she can have a baby. And actually, it has echoes, once again, poetic justice, right? Jacob takes advantage of his brother 
wanting food in order to make a swap, right? It's, it's once again there. Now, one of the things that you hear when you read the Bible, one of the key things anytime you come to a passage is what are the things that are said again and again and again? What are repeated words or phrases? And one of the repeated words is wages. All throughout this chapter, these chapters, there's this wage uh, or this idea of exchange. And it actually captures perfectly these human longings and strivings with each other. And we could point out just tons of them. But let's look at just a few. Chapter 30, verse 16 and 18. When Jacob came from the field that evening, Leah goes out and meets him and says, you must come into me, right? Now, this is his wife. She says, because I've hired you. I've hired you. And then when she, verse 17, or sorry, 18, when she actually conceives and has another baby, she says, God has given me my wages. And then, of course, you could look at all of Laban and Jacob's interactions, and they're constantly talking about wages. Seven years, seven years, six more years. You've changed my wages all these times. And Jacob regularly says to Laban, I served you, I served you, I served you. But you changed my wages. One of the funny ones, actually, is in chapter, where are we? Chapter 30, verse 31. Jacob wants to leave, and Laban's like, hey, I'll I'll pay you something just to keep you staying, because I know that you being here, God blesses me. And Laban says, what shall I give you? And Jacob says, this is verse 31, he says, you shall not give me anything. Right? He does not want, I just want some goats. And even that Laban is going to cheat him on. And so finally, Jacob pretty much summarizes his relationship with Laban to his wives in chapter 31, verses 4 through 7. He says to him, Before your father, your father does not regard me with favor, but the God of my fathers has been with me. You know that I have served your father all, with all of my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. And he says that multiple times. This guy is not a reliable man. All of these characters are operating and talking with a wages mentality. If I do this, I should get this. And they're keeping score. It's a win-lose situation. Because they also, not only do they want to gain wages, but they are regularly trying to gain at somebody else's expense. Now, you can imagine a church, or maybe imagine a church, where the Christians uh, are always trying to one-up each other. Maybe they even sue each other in order to get something from each other. You don't actually have to imagine very hard, because that does happen in the Corinthian church, if you read the New Testament. Lawsuits between Christians, right? Pretty hideous. That goes in every way against the gospel. And in this situation, what's interesting is that this wage mentality goes entirely against the Abrahamic blessing that God has given. 
which is, I will bless you, not so that I can get something from you, but I will bless you in order that you might be a blessing. What are the things that you really want, you really long for, and you're often tempted to just double-cross somebody, or you will not let someone pull a fast one on you to get in the way of this desire, this end goal. So often it is those desires and then our scheming that tells us a lot about ourselves. And one of the things it usually tells us is that we are prayerless, we are faithless, not trusting that God will look out for us. And it's in fact this Abrahamic blessing that God has given that brings us to our final point. Divine building and divine blessing. All these human wages contrast with the fact that throughout, God is going to bless Jacob. And it undergirds all of Jacob's success. The humans are exacting and calculating and all sorts of relational strife. But it will contrast with God's effective goodness and grace. God not only guarantees and protects Jacob's wages, which Laban really could care less about, God not only guarantees it and ensures it, he he enhances it. He blesses Jacob's socks off. It is God who gives the flocks. Even Laban sees this. In chapter 30, he says in verse 26 and 27, in verse 27, he says, I have found favor, if I have found favor in your sight, I know that the Lord has blessed me because of you. And Jacob in chapter 31 in verses 14, 4, sorry, 4 through 30, 30 oh my. In chapter 31, verses 4 through 13, Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field. And he says, you know, your father doesn't favor me anymore. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I served your father with all my strength and he's cheated me. But God did not permit him to harm me. Verse 9, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And, the, and then he goes in verse 11, the angel of God has appeared to me in a dream. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out of this land, and return to your land and your kindred. In this moment, Jacob does seem to recognize God has blessed him. But God has not only guaranteed and blessed the wages of Jacob, he's also compassionately listened to these injured wives. Because he's the one who gives them children. He's the one who listens to their cries for children. Leah acknowledges this in chapter 29. She says, when the Lord saw, 
Well, sorry, verse 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. And then in chapter 30, verse 22, with Rachel. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And of all these kids, actually, this is actually something we can't touch on, but two of them are going to be very, very significant for the rest of the book of Genesis. Leah gives birth to a boy named Judah, and Rachel gives birth to a boy named Joseph. Both of those two characters are going to be the main ones to watch, and those are going to be the two through whom God works graciously in this family. The other thing is that God protects. We already saw that in, his, in Jacob's dream that the angel says that I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. And then he says, I am the God of Bethel. That is, I'm the God who goes with you wherever you are. And this same God shows up in a dream to Laban and says, okay, man, You've messed with him for long enough. You better not do anything here. Don't say anything good or bad to him. So just zip it. And God's blessing, which is sometimes hard to see in all the human scheming as you read through the chapters, it does seem to actually stir up a little bit of faith in these people. For however mixed uh, and, and incomplete their faith is. Jacob says to Laban in 31 verse 42, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac, has not been on my side, surely you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. Both Leah and Rachel, when they finally have children, acknowledge that it was from God. Leah says that the Lord has looked upon my affliction. Because the Lord has heard that I was hated, he has given me a son. And then later on, when she has Judah, she says, this time I will praise the Lord. And Judah's name does, in fact, mean to praise. And Rachel, when she finally has her one boy, she says that God has taken away my reproach. So there is a mystery throughout this whole thing, which is that God is disciplining Jacob and thwarting Laban but also blessing this family and building up this family through whom he will bless the nations, even though these folks don't really have a good grasp on what it looks like to bless other people. And this whole story, these, this whole incident, actually foreshadows what God is going to do for their descendants. Because this story, Jacob arrives in Haran penniless, and then is built, and, and he experiences suffering and oppression and comes out with loads of stuff because God protected him and blessed him. And the Israelites will experience the same thing in the book of Exodus. They will 
at the end of Genesis, this family is going to go down to Egypt because of a famine. So they're being deprived of food and are in need. They're going to be oppressed, but God will compassionately listen to their cries for help, and he will bring them out full. So God shows his people again and again and again that he does listen to them and he is looking out for them, despite the fact that they have trouble maybe sometimes believing it, though occasionally they get glimpses. So when you think about your life plan, it's very tempting to have this kind of attitude of, I am going to take control of my life. I'm going to run this show and make it great. Listen to this poem. I think this poem captures one potential attitude that Jacob and any follower of God could have. This is the poem Invictus by William Ernest Henley. For those of you who've probably heard it at any number of valedictorian speeches. He says, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. And he concludes by saying, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am master of my fate. I am captain of my soul. Is that the kind of mentality that we see in this chapter? In one sense, yes, they are trying to make things happen, but in the end, they're all thwarted. Here's something better. This is from a, the Heidelberg Catechism, and it asks this question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? In face of the most significant things, life and death, what is your only comfort? And here's the answer. It is not that I am the master of my fate, I am captain of my soul. It is that I am not my own, but I belong with my body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He is fully paid, paid wages. He is fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. I think that that is the thrust of our story. We are not our own. Our life plans are going to end up in the scrap heap anyway. Fortunately, God is sovereign over not only history, but each person's life, and he is intent on both disciplining and blessing his children to all those who trust in him and in his plans. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you know our struggles to trust you. You know our desire to be the master of our own fates and the captains of our souls. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us, every person in this room, 
those who know you now and those who need to know you, I pray that everyone would come to know that they are not their own. But we belong, body and soul, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray, O Lord, that his plans, his aims, the concerns of his kingdom would be our concerns. I pray that those in this room who are striving, trying to make something of their lives in their own power, would surrender. I pray for those who are discouraged because they see that their life plans are not working out so well. I pray, O Lord, that you would bring them comfort and show them your better way forward. O Lord, I pray that you would grant all of us more faith in what you are doing. Because uh, you know that we need it, and we certainly need your help. And we thank you that there is, you are good to us, though at times it's hard to see. So please help us, O Lord, we pray. And we thank you for these words. We thank you for the saints that have gone before us, the things that we can learn from them, and ultimately see that it is you, O Lord, who cares for and shepherds your people. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.